Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Barnyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Wednesday edition of The Yard. Yes, you woke up and this was already in your notifications. You're welcome. Uh, The reality of it is, is uh, I've got a busy day ahead of me on Wednesday. For those of you in Winston County, I actually have two signings today uh, in Winston County. Let me share those with you real quick here uh, so we can get ready to kind of move forward. Uh, Also, too, want to take some time to uh, offer condolences and support to everybody impacted by the the storm on Tuesday. Of course, that led to us uh, rescheduling the Tuesday game with Southern. We're going to preview that game. Uh, shortly uh, on the show but uh, pretty serious stuff out there and some uh, really difficult situations there in New Orleans and uh, I'm a big New Orleans fan and a lot of people don't like New Orleans I do like New Orleans I like the vibe of the city I like being down in the French Quarter I like walking up down Bourbon Street like people watching all of that is uh, is pretty cool stuff and then when you know people get hemmed up down there I just get uh yeah I get real concerned oh my gosh you hate it for anybody you absolutely do you know we uh we had some damage here in Starkville uh, on campus had some older trees that were blown over and you know, the ground got super saturated and the root structure gave way and so there are some students and faculty on campus that are without vehicles and of course that'll all be taken care of with insurance for the most part but you and I both know that is a very long and convoluted process so again Wishing the best for them. So later today, I will be at Louisville, Mississippi at two locations. I will be at the Rotary Club at Lake Tiakakota. And and I I know that I pronounced that incorrect. I'm sure somebody will message me and tell me. Uh, But I'll be there 1130 to 1. I guess we'll call it Lake Tiak at 1130 to 1. If you're in the Rotary Club, you're well aware. Always good to see those folks. And then from 2 to 315, I'll be at an author event at the Winston County Library. So if you're familiar with that, if you're not a member of Rotary, but you live in Louisville and you'd like to come out and uh, get a signed copy of uh, any of the books, we'll have them there. Thursday, March 24th, I'm going to be at Mossy Oak from 1 to 4. That's Thursday, March 24th. It's the first time I've signed there. Some good Bulldogs there uh, in West Point, certainly those that work at uh, Mossy Oak. And then Thursday evening, at Anthony's Good Food Market in West Point from 6 to 8. I'll be there with the Mississippi State uh, Alumni Association with the Clay County Alumni Chapter. So come out and uh, check it out. And Saturday before the ball game, I will be at Campus Bookmart on Saturday. We'll, we'll give you some uh, firm times on the Friday show. So uh, let me also encourage you to, if you're looking to get Dogpile, the dogpilethebook.com website is completely sold out of copies. You're going to have to buy that at a local vendor. And there are several uh, around the great state of Mississippi that are carrying the book. Of course, uh, Lemuria Books in Jackson, College Corner, Barnes & Noble there uh, in Ridgeland. They have them as well. I don't know if Red Square still has any. They may. They may. We sold a ton of books there. And then I left behind, I guess, about 25 or so. They probably sold out. So maybe call before you go. 
But, of course, if they don't have them, just down the breezeway there is uh, Barnes & Noble and Ridgewood, and they certainly do. In the greater Starkville area, you can find it all over. Of course, uh, it's available at the Lodge, at Liza Tai, at Campus Bookmart, at um, <clears throat> Barnes & Noble, of course, on campus, Bookmart and Cafe downtown, Maroon & Company. It's a lot of places. And, of course, in Tupelo, you can find that it reads – and also, too, at the Barnes & Noble there in Tupelo. Please go out and buy those books. If you're in the Vicksburg area, you can find it at Lorelei Books. If you've got questions, reach out and let me know. I'll do my best. We don't have a retail presence on the Mississippi Gulf Coast right now. When the second printing comes out next month, we will. And we'll do some dates down there, too. A lot of people are asking about dates. Going to do some out-of-state stuff in the summer. Got to get through baseball season first. That's a priority. And so a lot of people have reached out and said, hey, Steve, when are you coming to Birmingham? When are you coming to Huntsville? When are you coming to Atlanta? When are you coming to Houston? All that's going to take place this summer. So we'll have some events, uh, likely do some more things with the Alumni Association too. Just kind of see how, see, see how things go. But uh, going to be a very, very busy year this year for me on the book tour trail. But if you, uh, if you need copies of Stark Villains, and I shared this with you guys recently, there are only about – I would say about 100 copies of Stark Villains that can still be purchased through the website. And, of course, you can go to dogpilethebook.com or starkvillainsthebook.com. It'll take you all to the same place. The URL is the same. Those books are in stock. I can get them signed for you, too. I've signed a bunch of stock here recently. Um, and then two Alpha Dogs, there are about maybe 300 copies left. Don't know, don't expect to do another printing of those books this year. Dogpile, there will be multiple printings this year in addition to what we've already done. And so that's kind of where the publisher's focus is. And so if you want copies of Flim Flam, we've, I guess we've got about maybe 400 copies of that. Maybe I'm wrong about that. I think it was 300 copies or so of Flim Flam, 200 or so copies of Alpha Dogs, and about 100 copies of Stark Villains. And so if you want to get those books, uh, don't, don't delay in getting that done. Many people have said, hey, well, I'll complete my collection later. Uh, you may have to do that, you know, through a third party because, uh, you know, once those books go out of print, they go out of print. And then next year, they'll probably do like a short run, you know, just to put them back into print and have some stock. But uh, you'll, you'll likely have to wait. And so I encourage you, if you're looking to get those books, of course, uh, you can find them at dogpilethebook.com. And also, too, the turkey book is there, too. I share with you guys, too. A couple people have reached out about that. Uh, you know, former professor emeritus wrote his uh, observations and kind of life's lessons learned as a naturalist as a turkey hunter, and uh, you can find that book there as well. Obviously, very, uh, very good thing uh, for you to check out. One more thing I want to share with you guys, too. You know, I'm pretty careful about who I partner with. I just don't do a lot of that stuff. I get a lot of opportunities. I have a lot of people that want me to kind of peddle unlicensed merchandise, and uh, I just don't do that. I always check with the university to find out if these people are licensed. I would say nine times out of ten, they're not uh, but I did recently sign an agreement with uh, this baseball barbecue group. I have shared that on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, they have the barbecue tools with the M over S logo on them, and it says Bulldog Baseball on it. Really, really cool. Uh, High-quality merch. And so visit those guys, and there's a link on my Twitter. I tweeted it out. If you need the link, I'm happy to give it to you. It's uh, barbecue, baseball barbecue then forward slash dogpile. Uh, but the reality of it is, is if you need it, let me know. I'm happy to, if you can't find it on my Facebook or Twitter, contact me directly. I'll get it to you. Uh, it's just a cool thing, you know, and it's like, I reached out to Leah Beasley and marketing to make sure these were officially licensed by the university. 
and they are. As a matter of fact, Mississippi State is the first school to officially license these barbecue tools. So again, that's baseballbarbecue.com. And again, if you have questions, reach out and let me know, and I'll be happy to, uh, to send you the link. Father's Day is coming up. Be a great Father's Day gift. Let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. I love Bulldog Burger Company, and you should too. Chances are you're already a raving fan of Bulldog Burger Company. They, they've been in business for a while here in Starkville. You know, the flagship right here on University Drive in Stark Vegas. I'm in there fairly regularly. I try to get by there once a week or so, as my schedule permits. Uh, my plan is to be down there Friday for lunch. I love going to Bulldog Burger Company because I know I'm going to get what I pay for, and you will too. Be sure and go check them out today. Three great locations to serve you, of course, University Drive here in Stark Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, and then the newest one, Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridgeland Flowood area. Uh, be sure and go check those folks out. Have the spring rolls for your appetizer. They will make you better looking. And we all need more of that. That's one of the reasons that I'm such an advocate, right? How do you think I got to be this beautiful? When I moved to Starkville, I was just an average-looking guy. Now, I've eaten all these spring rolls, and now you see. Now you see. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, let's take some time and look at Southern baseball. You know, of course, this is a game state should win, but the reality of it is, you know, at times we struggle with HBCUs. We, we do. And a lot of that, I think, has got to do with your know, midweek p- pitching you know, from HBCUs. A lot of times a bit of an adventure. <clears throat> you know, a lot of times you get a lot of these junk ball type guys, guys that are kind of crafty. They don't have a lot of velo, and you just don't see a lot of that. We struggled against Grambling. You recall we won that game 2-1 to one, thanks to a solo home run from Brad Cumbus. We trailed in that game for some time. Uh, the reality of it is, is that, uh, you know, we've got to get, we really could, we, we have to get a three in one week. We really need a four and oh week. You win these four, all of a sudden you're four and two in the SEC before you go to Fayetteville. And you know how tough it is for us to go up there and play at bomb. It's an incredible atmosphere. If you are a bulldog in Northwest Arkansas, or if you've ever considered making the trip, the diamond dogs need you to be there. I can promise you our baseball parents would love for you to be there. Uh, help supporting our team because we are really up against it that is I would say in all of my baseball travels that is without a doubt the most hostile environment we see and it's not just because you know I would say Razorback fans are nasty and there are some there are some nasty ones here too but the crowd in Arkansas understands that they're part of the experience and so they are constantly on your outfielders they are constantly rising your pitchers and it's a very tough place to go play. And I have a lot of respect for the Arkansas baseball program. I think Dave Van Horn is one of the best coaches in all of college baseball. I think it's just really a matter of time before Arkansas wins a national championship. So they were the best team in college baseball last year. And you can say, well, Steve, we won it. And we did because there are, there are no regular season trophies for being number one in the regular season. But I don't know that anybody could, could argue against, you know, Arkansas was a better team than us when you look at the full body of work in the regular season of course they don't make it to omaha so at that point you're basically an also ran but the bottom line is they win the sec they win the sec tournament for the first time it is simply a matter of time before arkansas wins an AFL championship could be this year who knows i don't know that i would go that far though i mean it, it depends on who gets hot late but uh it, it's going to be a tough environment for us but before we get there we got four games to play we're going to talk about the alabama series on friday that's what we'll look forward to doing but let's take a quick look at Southern baseball. Uh, Roger Kador built the Southern Jaguar baseball program. And I was in Baton Rouge really kind of during the, the heyday of that. 
and got a chance to know Coach Roger Kador, uh, a gentleman in college baseball. Loved that guy to death. Matter of fact, for years, the desk in his office was provided by me. I worked for a retail furniture company back then, and uh, we wanted to have a relationship with Southern. And matter of fact, when John Cohen was at Northwestern State, we had a relationship with those guys when I was in Natchitoches. Uh, try to take care of them as best we did. Matter of fact, the, the film that John Cohen watched on VCR back in those days, and we don't have VCRs today, that VCR was donated by us. We even gave a big screen TV to uh, Northwestern State Athletics that they raffled off for their spring game. So very involved with all that. And Roger Cador was the guy that just came by my store one day and sat down and said, hey, do you have any, like, you know, scratch and dent stuff that we could have? And I'm like, well, Coach, honestly, I think you guys deserve better than that. And he goes, you know, Steve, I do too, but I wasn't going to ask for it. You know, uh, I respected that. And uh, I, I think an awful lot of Roger Kador. And uh, I had a, a coworker of mine, a guy by the name of Juan Guy. That's right, Juan Guy uh, from Bogalusa, Louisiana, the pride of Bogalusa, Louisiana. And Juan was on the Southern University team that beat Cal State Fullerton. I think I've shared that with you guys before. They were a four seed, and they got the great trip out to California, and they beat Cal State Fullerton in the first game of that regional. And that was a pretty cool thing, you know. And so got a chance to work with Juan, hear all about that, and, of course, uh, he just could not say enough about Roger Kador. But, of course, things have changed. Coach Kador uh, no longer in coaching, still very involved uh, with college baseball. And really the advancement of the college game among the African-American community. Uh, Roger is a guy that fully believes that people should go to college and, and, and get their degree or at least get some progress before they go, you know, on to, uh, to minor league baseball. And so uh, he is an advocate for college baseball and uh, a great man that does a lot of great things for a lot of young people. So it's a little different day and time now. Of course, they've changed coaches a couple times since Coach Kador uh, stepped down and resigned and retired. But uh, Southern Baseball kind of taking it on the, uh, on the chops these days. 4-15 and 15 overall, 1-2 and two within their conference. They've lost two games in a row. Of course, those were uh, over the weekend. I believe it was Arkansas, Pine Bluff. They are 0-2 at home, 2-9 and nine away, and 2-4 and four on a neutral field. Well, the three of those games on a neutral field opened up the year. The Andre Dawson Classic, and how cool is that, right? The Andre Dawson Classic was played at New Orleans, Louisiana, at Wesley Barrow Stadium. A chance for a lot of these HBCUs to get together and just kind of celebrate HBCU baseball. Uh, I, I'm a firm believer, too, and you guys have heard me talk about this on the show, and I have, uh, I have complained to as many people as I can, I can get to. I've always felt that the SWAC schools were not treated fairly when it came to the NCAA selection. Because almost every year that Southern would win the SWAC and get the automatic qualifier, they would get to, they would go to LSU. It's like, are you kidding me? They play LSU midweek every year. And so they don't even get to leave their own town. They don't even get the benefit of a great trip. I mean, come on. You know, then Jackson State wins it, you know, and then they send them to UL Lafayette. I guess that's probably a fun thing. Or they send them to State or Ole Miss. Yeah, I, just, I think they deserve a trip. I do. I'm, I, I'm, I'm a firm believer in that, that. They should have an opportunity to go take a trip. Everybody else gets to go take a trip. And I know a lot of these pods are kind of geographically located, but it just seems like it's unfair that Southern University, I don't, I don't ever expect them to win a regional, but, but to, to make them have to go play at LSU 
and, and more times than not, Coach Kadar had some really good teams. People forget Ricky Weeks, right? Ricky Weeks, incredible player. But then they go to LSU. It's like LSU was a top eight national seed, and then so Southern really was not even – they were just an afterthought. It's okay, well, let's just find somewhere to put the SWAC school. Wasn't fair. But I remember correctly last year, let me look at the schedule here. You know, it seems like um, you know, Southern you know, upset you know, Jackson State in the SWAC tournament last year, if memory serves me correct. And I want to say they went to, I want to, say they went to Florida State. They, they win the SWAC tournament and finished with a 20-30 and 30 record. So it's, it wasn't a great SWAC team. Jackson State dominated most of the year. Yeah, they went to Austin. And, you know, I said, well, Steve, they went to Texas. They did. But at least they got a good trip out of the deal. They lose 11-0 in Texas. And then, remember Fairfield? A lot of people thought you know, Fairfield had the best record in college baseball much of the year. And uh, they beat Southern 6-2 to there at Dishfalk Field on the campus of the University of Texas. So, so yeah, pretty big deal there. And that was the thing, too, about the Jackson State thing. You know, Jackson State last year was 34-8. and 34-8 and going into that SWAC championship game. And then they lose and then sit home. And a lot of people are thinking, well, maybe they'll get an at-large. Not a chance. And that, that's one of the things, too, you think about, too, is we, we talk about the RPI and the net and all that sort of stuff. It just doesn't help because of the quality competition they play. Speaking of which, let's get into the schedule. Uh, let's see who Southern has played so far. Maybe get some names that you're familiar with. Again, I mentioned the Andre Dawson Classic. Uh, they, they open up the year with a 7-6 win over Alabama State University. Somewhat familiar with Alabama State when Ani Robertson, my oldest son, was a recruit uh, out of Baton Rouge. We actually recruited by Alabama State and uh, wanted us to come up for a showcase. We just never were able to get it together. At that time, he really wanted to go to, to southeastern Louisiana, and um, we kind of had our, our heart set on that and then ultimately elected to play junior college ball here in Mississippi for a year before going to, uh, to Williams Baptist. But uh, Alabama State, that's a program I know for the last several years that they have, they have put some real emphasis in recruiting to kind of expand their recruiting footprint. Hasn't really worked out. Uh, but I admire their effort. And, of course, uh, Southern beats those guys 7-6. They get Jackson State the next week, 7-5 in that, in that ball game, the next day, excuse me. And then they lose to FAMU 8-7. So three very competitive games, and Southern goes 2-1 and one in the Andre Dawson Classic. Could have very easily swept that. Their first true road game. No, I'll take that back. This is a home game. They get the University of Missouri. How about that? How about Southern University gets Mizzou to come to Lehigh Stadium there in Baton Rouge? And Mizzou wins it 19-8. And Mizzou, not a great team. Playing a little bit better this year than they did last year. Not a great team, but 19-8. That's your score. Uh, That Friday, they host Towson State University or Towson University. That's a 5-2 loss. Then they take on LSU. This is when they. This is the open. This is that opening Baton Rouge series where they played a couple of games there at their place and then went over to Alex Box. Uh, or maybe they played the whole thing there at Alex Box. They did. They played the whole. The whole little. It's like the Bulldog Classic, you know, when you've got all these teams that play four games. So they lose to Towson State five two. They lose to LSU nine two. They lose to Towson eleven one. They lose to LSU fifteen nothing. So not a good experience there at the old box. And, uh, of course, that was uh, six consecutive losses for those guys. They host McNeese State, lose that ball game 7-3. to three. 
They head out to San Antonio, Texas to play UTSA. The Roadrunners are a pretty decent program at times, too. They end up taking a game out there. They lose the series uh, two games out of three, but they lose 15-4. They win the Saturday game 11-4 and then get beat on Sunday 15-7. They play the University of Houston Wednesday out in Houston, lose that game 7-4. And, and again, I admire the, the fact that Southern is out here playing you know, these schools, and it's not just about the check. It's about getting better. You know, they're playing some top-notch competition. So when they get into their league, they're going to be somewhat battle-tested. It's a pretty ambitious schedule. I mean, you're playing three SEC teams in the first six weeks of the season, and one of those three teams is defending national champions. So good for SU. Uh, March 11th through the 13th, they uh, make the trip down to San Marcos, Texas, and take on Texas State. The Bobcats win all three games, 6-2, 15-5, 9-2-5. And then last weekend, the Jaguars get into conference play against Arkansas Pine Bluff. On the road there at Pine Bluff, they win the opener 11-6. And then they play a doubleheader on Sunday. Uh, I guess Friday they were washed out. Makes perfect sense. They lose 12-4 and 7-3. And then the midweek game with us uh, tomorrow before they head to Grand Wing State. So, again, not a great team, not a great record. Pretty ambitious schedule, though. No question about it. You play one with Mizzou, two against LSU, one against Mississippi State. Uh, that's pretty That's pretty significant. Uh, looking a little bit later in the schedule here, just to kind of see, it kind of loosens up for them a little bit, but they do play a couple games against Lamar. Uh, but in their league, they're going to be they're going to be tough to beat. Just kind of that brand of baseball over there. Let's look inside the numbers here, kind of look at who we need to look at. I, I don't expect these numbers to be very gaudy by any stretch. Uh, let's see here, J.J. Rowland. Leading the team are only two of the regulars uh, that are hitting over 300. And JJ's one of them. He is a 5'7", 170-pound outfielder from Baltimore, Maryland, a sophomore. Leads the team with a 316 batting average, has scored 12 runs, has 18 hits, two doubles, two triples, 11 ribbies. Also a guy that's a uh, stolen base threat, four out of four on the year. Uh, Neil Burgos is an infielder from Puerto Rico. And that's one thing, too, that Southern's done a good job here in the last couple of coaching staffs is kind of recruiting internationally. He actually is a Brookhaven Academy product, but originally from Juncos, Puerto Rico. How about that? That's pretty interesting. Went, uh, went to Jones County before he went to Southern. All right, Xavier Moore is a guy that uh, is tied for the team lead in home runs with three. Xavier Moore, a senior from Burt High School there in Shreveport, Louisiana. 5'10", 230-pounder. Done a pretty good job here for these guys. Hit a home run over the weekend against Pine Bluff uh, in game one of that doubleheader. Tremaine Spears, four doubles, a couple dingers for him, 10 ribbies, hitting 267. A redshirt senior from Pineville, Louisiana, right where that is. 5'11", 215 pounds. And for those of you that don't know, Pineville is basically a suburb of Alexandria, Louisiana. Alexandria, a really good sports town in there in central Louisiana. Spent a couple of years coaching uh, travel team soccer there in Natchitoches, and Pineville was our, our, our rivals. And a uh, really good brand of athletics there uh, for those guys. And then Javante uh, uh, Doris, a senior from Raymond, Mississippi. Maybe you know him. Infielder, six foot, two hundred pounder. Uh, guy's been there a little while, doing a good job for them as well. 
they had a really good starter last year, I recall. And I want to say he was their Friday night guy, and then we faced him, if, I'm not, if memory serves me correctly. But as a team, not a lot of power. Just 14 home runs as a team. They've allowed 31. Just hitting 230 as a team. Not a lot of extra base hits. 24 doubles. They've allowed 45. Five triples. And then 86 runs batted in. They've allowed 161. So you, you, you can do the math on that. They're getting outscored almost 2-1. to one. Slugging percentage, of course, not very, not very strong. Uh, walks as a roster, they've only walked 68 times. They have issued 85 walks. They have uh, got 30 hit by pitches, though, so they're not scared to crowd the plate. They have struck out 185 times as a team. That's a pretty high number. They don't ground with a lot of double plays. And, and to be honest with you, I think that's really a byproduct of the fact they don't get a lot of people on base. On base percentage is just 333. Opponents almost 400. They have four sacrifice flies, 14 sacrifice hits. What does that tell us? They're going to bunt some runners around. When they get guys on base, they're basically playing for one. Stolen bases, 23 of 33. Their opponents are 23 of 30. So pretty decent job, I would say, running the bases. Now let's look at this pitching. Not going to be for the, uh, for the, for the meek, shall we say. Uh, the leading ERA guy, among the regulars is Christian Paul. I don't think we see him. He is a redshirt sophomore from U-High, left-handed pitcher there. You know, maybe we see him for an inning or so. He did pitch against Missouri uh, there in relief and went seven innings against the University of Houston there in the midweek game. So maybe a good chance we see him. Left-hander, not a big strikeout guy. He's a pitch-to-contact guy. Could be another one of these uh, left-handed junk ball guys that uh, gets you out on your front foot. Allowed one hit and one run and three Ks against Missouri in two innings pitched. Went four innings against McNeese State. Three hits, four runs. Only one of those earned a couple walks, a couple Ks. And then, of course, at Houston, very competitive effort here. Five hits, three runs, uh, three Ks, and the one walk. And uh, they do lose the ball game there, but it was, uh, it was not his issue. And all three of his starts just come in the midweek, so good chance we see him tomorrow. Christian Paul, or today, excuse me. Uh, Anthony Fidanza. Has been primarily a weekend guy, but also done some bit of relief for them. Uh, may see him. Uh, you know, we're, we're not going to see the weekend guys unless they're just kind of getting an in, inning in, but you would think with us pushing the game back to Wednesday, they probably wouldn't wouldn't take a chance there. Joseph Battaglia uh, has, been, has been their dude. Five starts for him, 31 innings pitch, which leads the staff. So I don't expect to see him. Uh, but looking at the staff as a whole here, ERA of 8-2-1. You get in that bullpen, it's awfully, awfully interesting. You know, when you get outside of the starters here, Caleb Washington has been decent for them in his four appearances as, as a reliever for them. Uh, sophomore out of Laurelville, Louisiana, left-handed pitcher as well. He has pitched primarily on the weekends. But uh, could see him tomorrow. I mean, if they're in the ball game, they may have said, hey, we got a chance to go win this thing. But outside of him, you get in that bullpen, a lot of double-digit ERAs. Jerry Burkett. 10.8, Michael Page, 11.02, Nicholas Wilson, 14.81, Dylan Miller, 18, uh, James Caillou, 27, Brendan Evans, 10.8, Nile Banks, 19.29, J.D. Harad, 20.25. See, we do the math here. We all know what we see it. 
Uh, the bottom line is we're going to have to get after the starter who has you know, proven to be pretty good. If we see Christian Paul, which, you know, looking at these numbers, that's who I would expect to see. Uh, you know, we're going to have to go out there and play. We're going to have to get him out of the ball game and get in the bullpen. So if you look up in the fifth inning and it's a 2-1, 3-1 type ball game, don't be surprised. So who should we start? That's a good question. I would say maybe we go with uh, Jack Walker. You know, Jack did a really good job against Grambling. Matter of fact, we're going to go ahead and call this our prime shrimp pick of the day. Our pick of the day, Jack Walker. Let's expect to see Jack Walker. And we need to get Jack going. You know, Jack has kind of been up and down. I think he's lost his confidence a little bit. This is perhaps a great opportunity for him uh, to come out and get some work and get some innings and have a little margin, you know, for error. And that's the bottom line. The way pitchers get better is to throw against live hitting. You can have all the bullpens in the world. There's no pressure in the bullpen. You got to go out there and work through your mechanics and things like that and kind of keep your arm up in shape and, and, uh, and, and kind of get things on track. And you work with the direction of your pitching staff around you uh, to kind of fine-tune some things. But when you're on that mound and you're facing a hitter, it's a much different deal. That's one of the reasons that I think we have seen – you hear about these guys in the pen, and all of a sudden they get on the mound, and you're thinking, hey, what's going on? A lot of these guys are just learning to compete on the college level for the first time. I think Jack Walker's one of those guys. So I think we probably see Jack tomorrow. Does he start? Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. Uh, and, again, the, the prime shrimp pick of the pick of the game for the starter is Jack. A lot of good reviews from you all about the prime shrimp folks. Jeanspage.com, every time we mention the prime shrimp thing, people say prime shrimp is good, and it is. I don't partner with people that peddle you the bad product. And prime shrimp is a company that's been in business since the 1940s. They've been peeling shrimp probably as long as, um, as Bubba. Because Bubba and his family know everything there is to know about the shrimp business. I think these people here at prime shrimp could rival that knowledge despite the fact that they are not from Biola Battery, Alabama. They're a New Orleans-based company. Do a great job. Easy to cook shrimp, guys. And that's the thing, too. It's like, Steve, well, how easy could it be? What's this easy? You don't have to prep it, and there ain't much cleaning to do. You don't have to peel them. You don't have to pull the tails off. You don't have to devein them. You run that pot of boiling water. You open your pouch. You drop them in. Ten minutes later, you're ready to go. Absolutely perfect. Whether you're putting it on a salad, whether you're putting it on a bed of noodles, or perhaps uh, you know cooking it into you know, maybe some etouffee or something like that. Uh, this is absolutely the way to go. Go to primeshrimp.com and use our promo code Boneyard to save yourself a little money on that. And you've been thinking, I don't know. No, trust me. Trust me. I share with you guys, too. I think the Simply Season might be my current favorite. They got three great flavors, of course. Uh, be sure and go check it out. That French Quarter Alfredo is outstanding. It is really out. My first run through this, I said, hey, the French Quarter Alfredo is the best. But now that I've Gone through it a second time. I think maybe it's simply season. I like them all, though. I do. Money back guarantee and all orders over four pounds ship free. Again, it's primeshrimp.com. Promo code Boneyard. Trust me. Give these folks a try. You'll be glad you did. All right. Back to, uh, to our buddy Jack Walker. You know, the numbers have not been good. And that's because it's really been a feast or famine type thing. And I think some of this, too, I think he got had such a good outing against Grambling, you think, okay, this kid's going to be able to help us this year. The reality of it is, is he's probably having to pitch really before he's ready because of some injuries that we've had and things like that. And it's kind of the circumstances surrounding our pitching staff right now. We're having to take a true freshman as accomplished as he was on a high school level. 
and throw them out there. And uh, it hadn't always been the best of times. I am, I am in no way anti-Jack. I think Jack is going to be a great pitcher for us. But you look at the ERA, you know, four appearances, two starts. He has the highest ERA on the team at 15.75. Well, the only way that's going to come down is for him to get some clean innings under his belt. He's also kind of been the victim at times of some poor defense. You know, he was the guy on the mound last week when we get the fly ball out there to center field and uh, we lose it in the, we lose it in the sky. You know, it's it's dusk out there and Jess Davis just can't find it. Next thing you know, three runs have scored. And those are all charged to Jack. But he gets the routine fly ball. It's one thing's kind of unfair. But uh, you look back, the very first appearance – Opening weekend, we bring him out there against Long Beach State. He goes just one inning. Give us four earned runs, uh, a home run, a double, a walk, a couple of wild pitches. You know, if you recall Landon Sims, first outing, he didn't even get the first inning complete. He didn't even get outs. Only 19 pitches thrown. ERA balloons to 36. And, of course, that's in mop-up type situation. We lose that game 13-3. to The next outing for him was against Grambling. He goes five innings, three hits, one run, two walks, eight Ks. An outstanding effort. That's why, to me, it makes sense for him to pitch uh, against Southern. At Tulane, really, really struggled. Did not record an out. Gave up four hits, five runs, a double, a home run. Uh, Just not much going on. Had a hit by pitch. Just threw 16 pitches. And that's 15 runs charged against him and just 16 pitches uh, to his credit. And then Bingington. He comes out and pitches a couple of innings last Monday and should have been able to get out of the inning uh, there in the second, and we don't. And, and we go down, you know, to one, they score one run in the first inning, and it looks like we're going to get out of the whole thing. And next thing you know, we give up the um, we give up the, the drop fly ball out there. I say drop fly ball, we just never saw it. It gets over our head and three runs score. And all that's charged to Jack. And uh, that's what's unfortunate about it is, you know, a guy does his job and then somebody else does it. And I'm not being critical of Jess Davis. It's one of those things that happens in baseball. Sometimes you lose a baseball. And we did. We came back to win that game 13-5. to And that's 51 pitches, you know, there, there for Jack. And uh, not a lot to show for it. So, I think you bring him back out there. You, maybe you have him on a short leash. You tell him to go out there and throw strikes. This does not appear to be a team that can hurt you. They don't have a lot of power. Let's go pound the strike zone. Let's go find it again. We're going to need Jack Walker to pitch well for us this year. Uh, we And if we had to say that earlier in the year, we would have said, oh, no, Stevie's probably not going to pitch that much. But due to the injuries that we've had, uh, season ending and season altering, Jack's been kind of forced into action. So I, I do suspect we see him. I would say he would probably start. Even if he doesn't, I think he does make an appearance tomorrow. And I look for him to get back on track tomorrow. I really do. I think Jack is a guy that he – I think he has a good command of that breaking ball. He can land a breaking ball for a strike. Uh, the fastball is a little flat at times. I think some of that kind of stems from frustration. I think he has a tendency at times to kind of overthrow. But we had the best pitching coach in America, Scott Foxhall, and I think Scott will get him right. And I think Jack Walker's going to win a lot of baseball games before he's done here at Mississippi State. Uh, but that's your Southern preview, and uh, look forward to seeing you guys out at the ball yard w- tonight at 5 p.m. Come check us out if you're in town. Now it's time for us to go to the top 10 list, sponsored by our good friend Blair Chandler at CloseWithBlair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R, CloseWithBlair.com. Blair, a great friend of mine, been a great friend of mine for a long time. Think an awful lot of him. 
I really do. And uh, even before we had this partnership with the Boneyard, you know, Blair is my buddy. And so Blair is a guy, too, that can help you navigate through the labyrinth of mortgage. There's a lot to that. And if you've ever done it before, you know what I'm talking about. It's not fun. Because these underwriters ask for all this stupid stuff. You know, it's like things may be as straightforward as they can be. Oh, well, you know, Steve, yeah, you've got, uh, you know, 20-something years in the same field. But, you know, we need to get like, um, you know, a note from your middle school gym teacher, uh, you know, that, that you were a participant. You know what I'm saying? I'm, it's a little hyperbole, but uh, that's how it feels sometimes. It's like you just can't seem to get over the hump there. It's good to have a mortgage professional in your corner. That's Blair Chandler. Let me give you Blair's personal cell number. So whether you're looking to purchase a home or refi, maybe get your equity working for you to consolidate some debt to give you a little breathing room. Maybe you just want to put some money in savings. Maybe you'll get some home improvement to do. Or maybe you just say, you know what, Steve? I'm working paycheck to paycheck. I'm just tired of living that way. Get your equity working for you. Pay off some of those high, high interest rate credit cards or loans and consolidate that down to one monthly bill. Give yourself a little room to breathe. Give Blair a call today, 601-500-2344, 601-500-2344. If you lose a number, message me. I'm happy to send it to you. And here's the deal, too, because we're all friends, no matter who you cheer for, if you listen to this show, Blair's going to give you a discount. Just let him know you heard about him on the boneyard. Whether you text him, whether you call him, whether you send it by carrier pigeon, whatever you do, no matter how you communicate, let Blair know that you heard about him on the boneyard. He's going to pay for your appraisal. It's about a $500 value. Again, close with Blair.com. Okay, today's top 10 list is kind of inspired by last week's Last Wednesday, we did the um, you know, careers cut short by tragedy. I did not mention Selena, and I had her on my original list. I don't know what happened. I had a bit of a brain fart, and I forgot. You know, Roy's like, hey, we're not doing chemical dependency or suicide or anything like that. We're just doing you know, people that, whose careers are cut short by tragedy. And so for some reason, when I put the new list together, I left Selena off. So uh, Selena... An incredibly tragic story. The movie is spectacular. She was a very talented performer, a very beautiful young lady, and who was murdered by her manager, of all people. Absolutely insanity. If you've never watched that movie, I encourage you to do so. It's a very tragic story, but it also, too, details the life of a very beautiful individual. A woman who was a very beautiful person uh, that did a lot uh, for Teano music and also, too, for her community and uh, was a hero to a lot of people and had her life cut short. Other people asked me about Leonard Skinner, and uh, here is the reason that I didn't include Leonard Skinner. You know, Leonard Skinner still kind of continued to carry on. People would say, but yeah, did they really? Well, you know, Gary Rossington and Billy Powell, those guys were still around. Alan Collins was around for a while. Uh, the Alan Collins story is very tragic, too. A uh, guy that basically lived with survivor's guilt the rest of his life and uh, kind of drowned himself in alcohol. Very, very sad situation. But I didn't include Leonard for then. A lot of people reached out and said, Steve, no, Leonard, listen, I, you don't, there aren't many people that respect Leonard Skinner more than me. So it was not an omission of disrespect. I just felt like even today you can go see Leonard Skinner play. No, it's not the true Leonard Skinner. You know, Ricky Medlock is back with the band, which I think is great. You know, Ricky left and formed Blackfoot, went back. Uh, and Gary Rossington's still around. Artemis Powell's still around, but not really with the band very often. But uh, – there is still a version of Leonard Skinner around. And so I didn't do that. And we have shown a tremendous amount of respect uh, for Skinner over the years on the show. So again, it was no disrespect to them. It wasn't an omission. I considered them. I just felt like in these other artists, their careers were ended. There was no 
reunion for them. It's over. So there you go. That, that's why I didn't include them. So please don't take that the wrong way. But we had talked about not doing the chemical dependency thing. And I had several of you that reached out and said, hey, Steve, you know, especially you being a guy in recovery, you need to do this list. You need to do this, the top 10 list of performers whose careers were cut short by addiction or your drugs, alcohol, however you want to you know, kind of detail it out. Now, there are three legends that I didn't put on the top 10 list, and I'm going to explain to you why. There are some other legends that made it. Prince didn't make the list, um, and I don't, and maybe it's, maybe it's because I haven't studied it enough. You know, when Prince died, that was one of those celebrity deaths that really impacted me. Uh, but I think that was kind of an accidental situation. You know, I don't think that was an abuse situation. Much the same with Michael Jackson and Elvis. I think that they had doctors around them that were kind of pumping them full of meds. So I don't think this is a chemical dependency type issue or a alcohol or narcotics type situation where it was, you know, for personal use and maybe it was maybe i'm being naive but i didn't include them so i want to go ahead and get that disclaimer out of the way now all of those careers were cut short by drug related incidents but i think that's really the fault of the doctors rather than the individuals themselves all right so here we go and uh a little bit of a curveball with number 10 here a tremendous guitarist wrote some of the most memorable riffs in 80s rock music but we're not going to use one of his songs. And it almost seems a little bit disrespectful, but there was a song that was written about him and his life, and I felt I love that song, and I don't know that it gets played enough. I'm talking about Steve Clark from Def Leppard. Steve Clark um, drank himself to death. He absolutely did. And the sad part about that, too, is uh, if you've watched that behind the music, you know, his, uh, his fiance at the time, Lorelai, beautiful woman as well, uh, you just couldn't reach a guy like Steve Clark. And no matter what you did, he kind of kept you at arm's length, and he had these demons and depression and things like that, and he kind of hit himself in, in alcohol. He buried himself in alcohol and chemical dependency to kind of deal with some self-esteem stuff. And you would think, this guy's, uh, you know, one of the most famous guitar players, and at the peak of his game, you know, of course, I mean, he was the, kind of the driving force behind pyromania and hysteria, there was a time there when you know, Def Leppard on that Hysteria tour, they played in the round, if you know what I'm talking about. Like, you know, the, 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 the round was the stage in the middle of the arena, and it rotated, and so everybody had a front row seat, basically. And so Steve was at the height of his game and was never happy. And so our good friends in Tesla on the, on the uh, Psychotic Supper album wrote a great song called Song and Emotion. And it's dedicated to Steve Clark. It's written about Steve Clark. Tesla toured with Def Leppard extensively. They were great friends. And uh, I just felt, you know what, let's recognize that song as kind of the memorial for Steve Clark. Song and Emotion from Tesla. All right, number nine. And I hate to even bring this one up in some respects because uh, I, I didn't like the way this whole thing went down. People were making such a made a caricature of her i know i said that wrong but um it's amy winehouse and uh it's another incredibly sad story a very very talented young lady that did so much stuff in her life 
and she packed so much of it in, died of alcohol poisoning. And, um, you know, her big hit was rehab. I just didn't feel, I just didn't feel like doing that. I just, I, I just feel like that maybe that's wrong. Maybe that's the wrong way. Cause that, that became the big joke, you know, is what they tried to make me go to rehab. I said, no, no, no. And then she ultimately dies of an alcohol related death. I, I think it's more sad than anything else. And she had all kinds of trouble. She had relationship problems, mental illness, a uh, lot of legal problems as well. It just was not a charmed life for her. Um, but I wanted to certainly include her on this. An, an incredible voice, uh, to say the least. I mean, just it's one of those things that people look at even in hindsight, and they say, you know, she was certainly gone way too soon. There's actually a documentary film out there about her life that um, it's very, very, very sad uh, if you haven't seen it. One of these people, too, that uh, just kind of rebelled her whole life, and there's just so much information about there about her because there's just so many people were just so shocked and so disappointed about how all this kind of went down. But um, wanted to um, to work in one of her songs that uh, is not the song Rehab. And so we're going to go back to black. How about that one? We're going to go back to black, and maybe, uh, maybe you go to You Know I'm No Good. You know, she worked a lot with Mark Ronson, of course, that uh, has had some success with Bruno Mars. Uh, yeah, let's go with uh, let's let's go with Back to Black. Let's go with that one. And uh, an incredible blues vocalist there is is Amy Winehouse. So I have to make sure Roy knows that we're going to go with uh, Back to Black instead of Rehab. All right, let's go on to number eight. A, a guy that I met, and it's Jimmy the Rev. Sullivan from Event Sevenfold and uh, one of the most talented drummers in the world at the peak of his game. Uh, the self-titled album from Event Sevenfold was out. Things were going great. They were in the process of uh, writing and recording the follow-up to that huge album for them. Really their, their breakthrough album in many respects. And the Rev died. And uh, an incredible songwriter and uh, Mike Portnoy from Dream Theater played the drumming parts on Nightmare, the album because he had such respect for the Rev and even considered joining the band for a short time, left Dream Theater, joined A7X, and uh, now uh, it's kind of a hired uh, journeyman. Does some things with a lot of other different people, including the Winery Dogs. But uh, the song I went with, we've talked about this one recently, I went with Backcountry because I, it was one of those songs that really kind of pulled me into A7X. Love the track, love the percussion on it, and uh, may God bless the family of the Rev. Number seven, I joke with Mike Nemeth at baseball all the time that this song is among the top ten songs written in all time of all time. And no matter where I go for baseball, it seems they play it everywhere. I'm talking about the boys are back in town from Thin Lizzy. Phil Linett, the driving force. You know, of course, uh, John Sykes was part of that band too, but Phil Linett, bass player, lyricist extraordinaire, so many great ones. Dancing in the Moonlight is one of my favorite songs. But how can you bring up Thin Lizzy without mentioning The Boys Are Back in Town? It's great. Love it. You guys will too. Phil Lynott, another guy too, that drank himself to death. Really a sad situation. And it's a thing too, it's, it's this cautionary tale that there's so many people out there that have you know, riches and fame and access and privilege, and they're still unhappy. And that's the thing you think about, too. There's so many people that see alcoholism and, and drug addiction as an issue of morality. That's just not really the case. All right, number six. We're going Led Zeppelin here. 
but I'm going to change it up. You know, John Bonham, of course, died way too early, and the band never recovered. It was never the same. They just couldn't go forward. Now, Robert Plant, of course, had a huge solo career. Jimmy Page spent some time with the firm, did some work with David Coverdale, which really inflamed Robert Plant because he felt David Coverdale was basically a poor man's version of himself. But that Coverdale Page stuff's really good. It's really, really good. Uh, but I wanted to go with uh, one of my favorite Led Zeppelin songs that doesn't get played very often. I love this song, and I don't think we can play it enough. And it's Tribe on Riverside Blues. I absolutely dig it. Uh, and I know that it's, uh, it's a take on another song, but this is my show, so I'll break the rules here. But Tribe on Riverside Blues is an outstanding song. Uh, you know, we could go with uh, When the Levee Breaks, but uh, I actually like the Coda album. A lot of people don't like it because it was basically kind of a bunch of uh, B-sides that were laying around. But like, hey, hey, what can I do? All those songs are great to me. I and mean, maybe it's because we knew it was the last sample in a Zeppelin we were ever going to get. But Travel on Riverside Blues, we're going with that for number six on the list. Number five, we had these guys on the show, and I thought this top ten list would kill. And it just did okay. I won't say it panned. It, just, it was just okay. It was The Doors, Jim Morrison. Jim Morrison, an American poet, an outstanding lyricist, an incredible front band, and then, of course, died in Paris, France. Uh, you know, alcohol and drugs had really taken a toll on him. Pretty incredible situation. And uh, my favorite Doors song is Roadhouse Blues, so we're going to go with that, back-to-back blues songs. Uh, Jim Morrison... You know, a guy, too, that was so incredibly misunderstood, but it was almost like, you know, he always called himself the Lizard King, and he kind of existed on a different plane than the rest of us. Like, the rules, the normal rules just didn't apply to him, and he had this real sense of self-entitlement, and a lot of his music came off as kind of pretentious and indulgent. Uh, I get it. I actually love the lyrics on that. I remember watching The Doors movie and Robbie Krieger, like, talking about how weird the lyrics were. Man, the words are weird. The words are weird, man. Well, that was Jim. And that was because of the fact that he was riding at a level that a lot of the musicians at the time just couldn't do. They couldn't comprehend it. All right, number four, call it a homer pick if you want. But I'm going with uh, one of Axl Rose's greatest friends. It's friends with some of our friends, Shannon Hoon. We talked about New Orleans earlier. New Orleans was Shannon Hoon's favorite city. It got the better of him. There were fans outside of the... I guess it was a lakefront arena waiting for Blind Melon to play, and Shannon Hoon is laying there dead in the bus. Very, very sad story. An incredibly talented guy that was incredibly tortured. There's a lot of things in his life that, uh, if you have seen the documentary, um, it shows you some insight that he was really a tortured person, and music was really his escape from all of that. And even with that, too, it's like you go back to this thing, it's one of my greatest um, – I guess moments of gratitude is I'm just glad when I was involved in drugs and alcohol that I didn't have money because if I had money, I'd be dead. And that's kind of what happened with Shannon Hoon. He was a guy that struggled with chemical dependency and all of a sudden you've got all this money and this access to whatever you want and in whatever quantities you want and it got the better of him. But rather than go with No Rain, which is what many of you are expecting, I'm going, I'm going back on the first album and we're going with Changes. Changes from Blind Melon. Number four, Shannon Hoon an absolute genius that is gone far too soon. Number three, I couldn't put this list together of people whose careers were cut too short 
due to alcohol and chemical dependency without mentioning Janis Joplin. Janis Joplin, in many ways, changed female vocalists in the rock genre forever. For Nobody had sung like her. She's a blues singer, but nobody had really used the upper register quite like her. Nobody really strained their voice and really pushed themselves. Uh, and then that wonderful rasp that she has just kind of comes through. And so I went with one of, and I know people thinking, well, me and my Bobby McGee, what's well, a cover? And I know that I've, it's my rules, but I wanted to use a song that I thought really, really pushed her vocals. And it's a song that many of you aren't very familiar with. It's a great song. It's Move Over, Janis Joplin and Move Over. That's your number three song. Number two, I would always be remiss if I didn't take some time to talk about uh, someone that I'm uh, that I admired greatly. They are basically a contemporary of mine in many respects, uh, age-wise. Anyway, I was never nearly as talented as this guy in any stretch. And I firmly believe, had he lived, that he would have changed the direction of rock music. I think rock lacks some headliners today because of Lane Staley's death. I really do. A lot of people wanted to kind of lump them in with grunge, and I, I just I don't agree with that. I know that they were from Seattle, but they were different. They did they weren't like Nirvana or Pearl Jam and even Soundgarden. I think Soundgarden's probably a little bit closer to Alice in Chains than some of the others are. But uh, Alice in Chains is a rock band. You know, Man in the Box came out. I remember when we saw it on MTV, and like everybody goes to school and they're talking about it, and it's like it, it freaked everybody out. Because they were unlike anybody else that were playing at the time. It was just different. And you knew things were changing. And I don't know they were changing for good, but, you know, the 80s rock scene had gotten really bloated and really predictable. And all of a sudden, a band like Alice in Chains comes on, and people are like, hey, I need to hear more of this. And that, uh, you know, that Facelift album is just absolutely phenomenal. It is a classic rock record. If you don't own it, you should. If you can find it on vinyl, get it. If you can't, download it on your iTunes. It's a great track. It's a great album all the way through. There's not a bad song on the album. You know, of course, Dirt is the one that uh, was really the breakout album. I think Facelift, though, I think it's important to, to go with the maturity of the band. You listen to Sap, you listen to Facelift, you listen to, to Dirt. Then you go in the tripod and, you know, things get a little more disjointed later. But uh, a lot of the lyrics are written by Jerry Cantrell. Jerry's a guy, too, that was also... In many respects, kind of a hopeless drug addict, but fortunately he found recovery. Lane did not. And if you're unfamiliar with the story, I hope someday they make a major motion picture about this, or at least a documentary, about the life and times and death of, of Lane Staley. Uh, Lane is a guy that met this wonderful young lady named Demery, and uh, they were engaged, they married, everything was wonderful, and Lane turned her on the heroin. She overdosed. Lane goes over the edge, cannot face life with the guilt and shame of all of that basically stays in his apartment doing cocaine and heroin had gotten down under a hundred pounds suffered with gangrene it's a very very sad story uh randy star one of the last people to see him alive threatened to call 911 because of the, the state that lane staley was in he elected not to lane told him if he did he'd never talk to him again he didn't lane dies and then the, the guilt of that sent Randy Starr into the abyss of addiction himself. He was already an addict, but at this point, he no longer cared. He went on celebrity rehab, talked to Lane Staley's mom. Lane's mom forgave him, didn't blame him. 
but at the end of the day, he blamed himself. Uh, but I go back to a song that is actually about getting sober, ironically, off the Dirt album, and it's Wood. It's Wood. I think the, one of the best songs in the Alice in Chains catalog. And listen, this, this version of Alice in Chains is out there is good. It's not great. And it's never going to be great again without Lane Staley. It's just not. And I've got, uh, I told you recently, I donated some money to the Lane Staley Foundation to help fund treatment centers in the Pacific Northwest. And they sent me these great Lane Staley shirts, and I wear them with such pride. And I was very, very blessed to be able to get one from the very first Lane Staley show, one of the fundraisers they did, and uh, really proud to have that. But uh, I get a little emotional when I think about this because, you know, when I was first getting sober, I listened to a lot of this stuff. I listened to Dirt. And there's all this rec- this um, recovery jargon that's in there. You know, we talk about the pink cloud turns to gray. And, you know, and I, I go back to, um, you know, The Real Thing, which is one of my favorite songs on the Facelift album. And he says, I grew up one in rehab. You know, the doctors didn't do me no good. And all that stuff stuck with me. Um, so... Maybe rock some Alice in Chains for Lane Staley today. But number one, the guy that I think, you know, again, nobody's death is ever celebrated for this kind of stuff. You know, it's one thing if, you know, there's somebody out there that's some rotten person or whatever, you know, like when Saddam Hussein was hung, you know, there are a lot of people that celebrated the death. You know, I don't think we can ever, you know, I don't think it's ever in good form to celebrate death. You know, but when you have mortal enemies out there that are trying to kill you, uh, I think there is some glee that gets attached to that. But the guy that I think we talk about changing the direction of music, he's one of the greatest guitar players who've ever lived. I don't know that there is an Eddie Van Halen without a Jimi Hendrix. I know there's not a Dimebag Darrell without a Van Halen. And, and, and all that kind of goes back to, to Jimi Hendrix, who basically you know took a right-handed Fender Stratocaster, flipped it upside down, played it left-handed, and took all these blues scales and then made it psychedelic rock, and he changed the direction of rock music forever. A lot of people would say, you know, Steve, let's go with this one, let's go with that one. You think I'm going Purple Haze? I'm not. I'm going to one of my favorites that is probably an underappreciated classic. It's If Six Was Nine from Jimi Hendrix. So there you go. There's your top ten list. It's kind of sad. I hate it's kind of somber, but I think let's let's celebrate their talents, but at the same time, you know, we can kind of lament the loss of their of their lives due to chemical dependency. And I think, again, it's important to understand that, you know, chemical dependency and alcoholism is no respecter of persons. You know, a lot of people think, well, you know, it, it only happens to poor and disenfranchised people. That's just not true. It's not true. I, I say when I go speak, you know, really the only difference between, you know, the people on the street, you know, doing crystal meth and then the soccer mom, that's uh, popping pills all day to make it through the day. The really the only difference between the two of them is where they get their dope and where they lay their head. And so the bottom line is it's all the same thing. We can talk about drug of choice and this drug is a trash drug and this is a luxury drug or whatever. Uh, they all lead the same place and that's jails, institutions, and death. And uh, I've done two of those and tried the third and just wasn't successful. And so my hope is today, if you're a person that is struggling with chemical dependency, that you will reach out and get some help. Uh, I have 30 years of sobriety at this point and uh, grateful for every 24 hours. If you need to talk to somebody, contact me. And if I can't talk to you, I'll put you in contact with somebody that can't. If you need to get into treatment, I can put you in contact with people that can do that for you too. 
And so I'm very, very in tune with the recovery community, and nobody has to continue to live this way. And that was the part for me, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but, you know, before I got clean, so before I got arrested, I was content to die as a drug addict. I was not one of those drug addicts that saw the light. I had to feel the heat. And I thank God that I got arrested because if had I not gotten arrested, I would not have been forced to get honest with myself or with my family and get help. It is funny how life works. I was given a second chance. I have made the most of that chance, and uh, I'm a very happy person today. Not, not every day is a banner day. Don't get me wrong. I mean, this time last week, the cup was completely empty. I needed some time off from the book tour. I was worn out and uh, isolating a lot. And that's never good. You know, I won't say that I thought about drinking or using. I didn't. But a lot of those same, you know, feelings. And, you know, they always say an addict alone is in bad company. And that's the case for me, you know. And so I'm very social. And so when I have to kind of withdraw and stuff, it doesn't always put me in the best of spaces. But um, so I know what you're dealing with. And there are sometimes people think, Steve, I'm beyond hope or I've got it handled. It's really not that bad. I said all those same things, too. And I remember I remember laying in my apartment one night and uh, I'm just going to be brutally honest with you guys. I, I drank a couple bottles of Robitussin and dropped four hits of acid and I took some medication that I thought was pain pills. I was about to beat it on my chest. And uh, I was so I was content to die as a drug addict because I was scared to go to the hospital because they'd call my family. I didn't want my family to know I was a drug addict. So I would rather have died than told my family that I needed help. And so maybe you're in that situation. And if you are and you feel hopeless, I can promise you you're not alone. You're not the first person that's ever felt that way. And so if you need some experience, strength, and hope, I've got it in bushels. All right, let's thank our friends at Campus Bookmart. I love Campus Bookmart. You will too. Whenever I need to kind of gratify myself instantly when it comes to financial type stuff, when I go buy myself something, i to be careful how I word that. When I want to go buy something for myself, Campus Bookmart's usually where I go. Unless I'm ordering like an Ozzy Osbourne shirt or something like that, I go to Campus Bookmart. And any time that I get ready to buy something for a friend or anybody like that, you know, I, went, I went by and bought my daughter's Mississippi State diploma frame from Campus Bookmart. That's something you should be thinking about kind of moving ahead. If you've got people in your family that will be graduating soon, you want to get an official Mississippi State diploma, frame you can get it right there at campus bookmark and uh stand a man in them they have a big warehouse and so there's a lot of them up there you can go see them for yourself it's right there by the stairwell and uh, you can see them for yourself kind of be thinking about that because you probably haven't thought about that you're thinking oh we're going to be graduating soon and you haven't considered the fact that you need to get your graduate a diploma frame you can do that campus bookmark outstanding service Stand man, Miss Kathy Brown, lovely, talented Susie. I love them all. They treat me like family, but you know what? It's not because I'm special. It's because they love all of us in the Mississippi State family. So if you're looking for Mississippi State merch, visit them today at campusbookmart.net. You can also get signed copies of Dogpile from them. You don't have to go into the store. You can just put it on your list. And matter of fact, if you want it personalized, I can do it through them too. Pretty easy to do. Uh, go to campusbookmart.net and use promo code BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that gets you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than 50 bucks, absolutely incomplete. And if you're less than 50 bucks, order a copy of Dog Pile for a sell yourself, someone you love. Father's Day's coming up, uh, Easter's coming up, end of school's coming up, graduation's coming up. A lot of good things coming up. Baseball's coming up, Friday's coming up. There's always a reason to celebrate and get a copy of of Dogpile and get some Mississippi State merch. Again, that's campusbookmart.net, promo code BSR.
All right, let's take some time and uh, take an inventory of where we are right now as a team with some of these SEC stats, excuse me, Mississippi State stats. We'll, we'll talk about uh, what's going on in the SEC in the next segment of the show. But uh, it's interesting, too, when I look at what Mississippi State has done offensively this year, it is not exactly maybe as bleak as maybe the perception you know, the national championship team hit 278 as a team, 278. And we struggled against some SEC pitching at times, but 278 as a team. And, of course, we hit 75 home runs, one of the best seasons. We also allowed 72 home runs. That's been a problem for us this year, too. But uh, interestingly enough, the stats are not too terribly different from what we saw last year offensively. Now, some of that is because – when we get after you, we can run away from you. We are a team that's capable of stacking some runs together when we get a pitcher on the ropes. That hadn't always been the case. Consistency has been an issue. That was the case last year, too. And I remind people, too, there's just so much of that, you know, in hindsight, we get this uh, kind of revisionist history at times, kind of about what we've done, what we're doing, how things have gone. But when I look at that NAFL championship team, I go back and I remember, you know, we beat Vanderbilt 9 nothing, 13-2. But there were some times early in the year we were not good offensively. You know, we scored two runs against TCU. We lose the game. Uh, we lose to Tulane 7-3. Braden, Braden Othoff really shoved it that night. We beat Southern Miss 4-1. to uh, We lose to Kent State 9-5. to That was a ball game, too, where we just couldn't spell their starter. Uh, we beat UL Lafayette 4-0, which is four hits. We beat Eastern Michigan 4-1, 4-1. Uh, had to come back and walk them off uh, in the Sunday game. Uh, we did a really good job at LSU. Didn't score a ton of runs. We scored 12 on the weekend, managed to take the series because our pitching was so good. We lose to Arkansas 8-2, 11-5, 6-4. Do a good job against Kentucky to win, but we forget – there were two one-run games, a 3-2 game and a 4-3 game. We had to come from behind in that Saturday game you know, to win. Uh, we get Auburn. We do a pretty good job there. We win the Friday night game 6-5. And then, of course, blast them on Sunday 19-10. Uh, the, the game that sticks out, too, is Doug Nikhazy, who was outstanding for Ole Miss. You know, it was a one-hit shutout that Saturday. And we all went into Sunday thinking, oh, my gosh, we cannot lose this series. Well, fortunately, we don't because we had the big Tanner Allen bases clearing triple that kind of set the stage for uh, you know, really, really built a lot of momentum for us down the stretch. We lose game one at Vanderbilt by scoring just two runs. We put up seven against Leiter in the bullpen there. And then on Sunday, we have a chance to knock them out, only get four runs. When you don't score the final seven innings of a game, you generally lose. Uh, Texas A&M, two one-run games there, 8-7, 3-2. We win the Sunday game uh, a lot better. South Carolina, the Sunday game, we lose that game 4-3. to Then, of course, uh, the Missouri game, we have to come from behind to win game 1-5-4, and then we lose 7-6, and then 16-8. It was tough. We go over to Alabama, we sweep the series, but again, we kind of forget how competitive it was, too. We win that Friday night game 4-2. Saturday was very good. The Sunday game was 7-3. We trailed until late in that ball game, and then it was that crazy interference play, I think, that really sparked us. It was a bad call, and I will die on that hill. So if you want to argue about it, you feel free to hit me up. 
Then we got in the postseason, didn't do well at Hoover, scored just three runs in Hoover. And a lot of people thought we're, we have no chance to get out of a regional, much less make Omaha. Then we sweep the regional, of course, and then win two out of three against Notre Dame. But, you know, the, the, the game two against the Fighting Irish was a 9-1 ball game, just the one run there. We win a 2-1 game against Texas, a 6-5 game against Virginia, an 8-5 game loss to Texas. And that was the game, too, that uh, Parker Sinek gave up the big home run that uh, you know, made the difference, really the, the defining moment in that ball game. But you expect those games against the best teams in the country to be very nip and tuck. But, you know, again, early on, we were not a great offensive team. Now, looking at where we are now, Cameron James and Brad Combust are tied for the team lead in batting average. Of course, both of those guys with four hit games on Sunday, both now hitting 324, incredibly, and 74 at bats exactly for both of those guys. 24 hits and 74 at-bats. Cam scored 18 more runs. Got a few better bats behind Cam than we do with Brad. Uh, but Brad doing a great job driving in runs, 19 runs for him and uh, nine for Cam. And a lot of that, too, is because he's hit, you know, up in the lineup a little bit more. Uh, but the reality of it is is that, uh, you know, guys aren't getting on base with the same regularity in front of Cameron James that they are Brad Cumbust. 15 walks for Cam. That's another thing, too, you factor in. Uh, strikeouts about the same between both 16 and 15. Brad's grounded into two double plays, which is still pretty difficult to do. Cam three for four in stolen bases. Brad Cumbus two for two. Uh, you know, guys done a pretty good job there. Now, one of the things, too, it's interesting. Brad's had 40 putouts on the year. That's pretty impressive, too. Between left and center field, the guys played pretty well. And uh, fielding percentage of 1,000. Cam of the regulars, has the lowest fielding percentage with four errors on the year, and, and three of them came this past weekend. Cam James can play better. He knows it, and he will. Hunter Hines could potentially be a freshman All-American. Certainly will be All-SEC freshman team, but could be a freshman All-American. On pace to hit double-digit home runs, currently hitting 303 as our designated hitter, and he started all 21 games you know, it's pretty rare to see a freshman get this many at-bats. He has 76 at-bats, which is second on the team. Pretty incredible to think about. And has scored 25 runs. Did you know that? Did you know Hunter Hines has scored the most runs of any Bulldog this year? That's, that's the case. And he's second on the team in hits at 23. You begin to think about what his potential is. It's phenomenal. Six doubles, a triple. The lone triple on the team this year is Hunter Hines. And then uh, six home runs for him as well, which is also tied for the team lead. We have three uh, with six. Uh, Twelve walks on the year. And, that, and you'd like to see that number go a little bit higher. You know, his strikeouts are a little bit high. Leads the team in strikeouts. And you expect that with a freshman, right? You don't expect the six home runs. You would expect 20 Ks. But he's doing a phenomenal job. There's no question about it. A phenomenal job, not just for a freshman, but for anybody. But the, you factor in that he's a freshman tied for the team lead in home runs, and second in batting average. It's pretty incredible. R.J. Yeager, a guy that struggled with a ton of swing and miss early in the year, doing a much better job right now, hitting 286, had a really good weekend this past weekend against Georgia. Uh, had a great week, four home runs. All four of his home runs came in a eight-day period. He has played in 20 games, started 15. And I like how Chris gets some guys at bats late in games. RJ's at-bats among the regulars is among the bottom. Just 56 at-bats for him. 16 hits, three doubles, the four dingers, 18 RBI, which is among you know, the team leaders, uh, just behind Hunter Hines and Kellum Clark. 
Uh, I guess uh, Logan Tanner is uh, right there kind of with him too. Um, but the reality of it is I think we're beginning to see RJ settle in to be the player that we hoped that he would be. Strikeouts at 14, that's still a little bit high. And he had some really bad strikeouts early in the year, which is one of the reasons that I think he sat. But, again, he's got around the same number of strikeouts as most of your regulars and 20 less at bats. And so got to reduce – the swing and miss, and I think we're beginning to see that. I think another part of it, too, is you, you begin to factor into you're coming in with a new bunch of guys, and it takes a while to kind of find your niche. I think he is now settled into that. Logan Tanner, hitting 274, had some really good leadership at bats. There are times early in the year that I thought Logan Tanner took some selfish swings, and I don't necessarily mean that in the negative variety. There are a lot of times, too, I think he feels a lot of pressure to go out there and hit the big home run when maybe the uh, the line drive will do. I thought he was much more disciplined this past weekend. Uh, was really kind of a rally starter for us. Had a couple leadoff doubles to get things going. 274 average and 73 at-bats. Has scored 20 runs, 20 hits. And he's got some guys behind him that are beginning to show some real power with uh, Kellum Clark and, and Brad Cumbust. And so LT kind of rides that around too. 22 RBIs, which is second on the team. Uh, 15 walks, too, and that's one of the things that I think he does a really good job is he will let you walk him. Uh, and I think that, again, is a sign of maturity. Take the walk rather than chase the bad pitch and ultimately ground into a double play. 15 strikeouts have been hit by pitch twice. He has grounded into a couple double plays, and you expect that with a catcher. Uh, 12 assists on the year, two errors, and uh, one of those really bad. Just a, you know, a ball that's kind of hung up in the grip there. Uh, Luke Hancock hitting 269. Now, I am not down on Luke like some of our, our folks are. He had a couple doubles over the weekend. Luke is a trained assassin in the batter's box, and he is only going to get better. And once he gets going, he is capable of carrying the top half of the list lineup. Home run numbers are down right now. Just one dinger for him, two uh, for Logan Tanner. Uh, but Luke is a guy that we know is a double-digit home run guy last year, so you know he's capable of, of driving the ball against SEC pitching. He will get it going. He leads the team in 17 strikeouts this year. I mean, excuse me, 17 walks and just three strikeouts. It seems like it's more than that. It's not. This is a guy that has a great eye for the baseball. He doesn't chase bad pitches. And I think one of the Ks, I remember, you know, it was just a bad call. You know, he just doesn't strike out very often. It's almost like the old story about, you know, Sandy Koufax or Ted Williams, excuse me. You know, when Ted Williams was pitching against, or was hitting against some young pitcher and the young pitcher throws uh, back-to-back strikes and doesn't get a call from the umpire. He walks down off the mound, and the umpire's like, what? And he goes, those are strikes. And he goes, son, Mr. Williams will let you know when you throw a strike. That's kind of how it is for Luke. You know, Luke is a guy that's got a great eye for the baseball, and that will serve him well. We talk about draftability. That's one of the things. Pitch selection is very important for Luke. And sometimes he's a little bit impatient, you know, jumping on that first pitch fastball and could probably – probably work the count a little bit better. But uh, I am not worried about Luke Hancock. I've got a lot of faith in him. I know that he will get it going. Uh, Kellum Clark began the year with 0 of 18. Now he's got uh, 15 hits on the year and 16 runs. Very efficient in that respect. And did sit some time too, but now he's rolling again. He's hitting the baseball exceptionally hard. He is a guy, I think, that has gotten over a case of draft-itis. I think he understands if he just relaxes and plays baseball, it's all going to take care of itself. And I'll be honest with you, I think among our starting nine, Kellum Clark projects as the best Major League Baseball prospect unless it's Logan Tanner because Logan Tanner obviously plays a luxury position at catcher. 
but among the regular fielders, Kellum Clark is a guy that has you know the big league physique and is a guy that's got exceptional power. And I think that uh, he will certainly be a double-digit home run guy. Projected that beginning of the year. He had five dingers last year, mostly in the second half of the year. He's already got six. And I, I, you know, he could be over 10 before we get to Super Bulldog weekend. I don't think there's any question. Uh, 19 RBI, you're really starting to see him get going. He's another guy, too, that is learning the value in the walk. Just 10 walks on the year, but look for those numbers to go up. 15 Ks, that's, you know, that's, that's another pretty big number there, too. Uh, but the reality of it is, is when you've got a guy like him that swings as long and hard as he does, you're going to miss at times. Uh, Tanner Leggett, he is a guy, too, that, um, you know, I might run a career 220 guy hitting 208 right now. We talked about that earlier in the year. It's like people are arguing about four Tanner Leggett in place of Lane Forsythe, thinking, well, we get a little more offense. It really hadn't been that significant of a difference. Now, now Leg has hit a couple of dingers, and sometimes it's a negative thing for a smaller guy because now you start thinking, okay, well, I can be that guy. I don't think that's his game. I think he is a guy, especially against bad relief pitching, that can really punish you. But I think that his game is really more gap to gap. He does take some huge swings. He's got 11 Ks this year. Uh, he's definitely trying to murder the baseball. Sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. He also has uh, Mississippi State's only sack bunt this year, too, and two of two in stolen bases. Uh, I got two. It's like you, I like the mix here with Lane Forsythe and Tanner Leggett. I do think Lane is beginning to take some better at bats. And if between the two of them, prior to last weekend, I would say Lane has been better as of late, pitch selection wise, but I thought Tanner had some big hits against Georgia. Uh, Lane Forsythe hitting just a buck 61, that's got to get better. And I don't know that if you don't you know, make Lane really more of a reliever, because the, the reality of it is, is you know, how much stress do you want to put on that arm? If he is going to be a middle reliever for you, you probably don't need him playing a shortstop two and three, maybe even four times a week. And so I think he gives you some options there. But I do think lanes at bats as of late have been much, much better. I think his pitch selection is better. He had that very, very important sacrifice fly to get a run home. He is a good situational hitter. There is some times that I think that he gives up on that, uh, that two-seamer. They'll back him up on the outside corner with the two-seamer. He thinks it's away and it catches the corner. That's where I think when he begins to foul that ball off or take it the other way, that's when I think you're going to see that average really, really jump. Uh, but those are the guys. And then Jess Davis, of course, uh, now I believe your everyday starting center fielder. And Chris Simonis kind of suggested that on Sunday about how well Jess had played. Uh, he is hitting 348, just four starts under his belt. But this is a guy, too. Uh, and 23 at-bats has been pretty pretty efficient in getting on base. Uh, six runs, eight hits, a couple doubles. Has incredible speed, too. And it's just a matter of time before he gets that triple. I don't think he's ever going to be a big home run hitter. But you look at the guy, he just kind of exudes athleticism. Three walks on a year, four hit-by-pitches. And uh, that four hit-by-pitches is tied for the team lead. But when you look at the fact that he's only had 23 at-bats, and had four hit-by-pitches. You know, he's a guy that uh, is a left-handed hitter that's willing to kind of crowd the plate. I do think teams struggle to beat him inside on the fastball, and I think you're going to see Jess Davis be a big part of things down the stretch. Uh, Just three walks on the year, four hit-by-pitches, as I mentioned, but also just six strikeouts. When you look at that percentage-wise, it is in line with what everybody else has for the most part. Two for four in stolen base attempts. One of those this past weekend was kind of an egregious situation Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. That's right, the Dixie National Rodeo 
get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year, and me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest, and we'd go up there, and just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing, the versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tacovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. Be sure and check them out. Tacovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom fitted for a new pair of Tacovas boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to Nerd Wallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year. Managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup. Putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with smart money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. He got picked off there at second base. But, uh, again, that's where we are right now position-wise. Now, let's look pitching. Uh, I'm not going to talk about the guys not around anymore, but Cade Smith is clearly at this point your most consistent starter. There's no question about it. 2.57 ERA, 4-0 in five starts, and he pitched well enough against Tulane to get the win. The bullpen simply just couldn't keep it together. You know, and Tulane was kind of ambushing the fastball the first time through the order. We make an adjustment. The second time through, it's a much different deal. Uh, he has 28 innings pitch, which is second on the team by one-tenth of one-third of an inning. He's allowed 22 hits. That number has come up, and that's a lot of it because people realize he wants to get ahead and establish the fastball and get strike one, which is the most important pitch in baseball. But what makes him dangerous is that he can land the breaking ball and spot up the change all for strikes. So you can't just rely and sit fastball. You can't just sit there and say, okay, I know I'm going to get a fastball to hit. That's why people are jumping on it early in counts. And, again, as he develops and Foxhall kind of figures out what he's good at, you're going to see a lot more pitching backwards. And he did a lot of that against Georgia. 
did a really good job. And then when he got in trouble, he did a great job. And remember, he closed out the game retiring the last eight hitters that he saw. Uh, eight walks against 28 Ks. Uh, not a bad ratio there. Nearly four to one. Has allowed three doubles and one home run. We have allowed 20 home runs as a staff. Uh, that's that's a little bit higher than you'd like, to say the least. But when you're challenging hitters, you're going to have some of that. Preston Johnson has done a great job for us. You know, ideally, without the injuries, he's the first guy of the bullpen. But we've had injuries. We've had to put him into the rotation, and I thought he's pitched well enough to win in every game. Uh, 3.18 ERA, 2-1 and one record, five appearances, and then four starts. And the one appearance was a relief appearance where he walked the bases loaded and then got out of the jam. He leads a team with 28 and a third innings pitch, allowed 20 hits, but he has allowed 11 runs, 10 of them earned. He's walked 10 and struck out 43. So a 4-1 to ratio there, we can certainly live with that. But uh, you'd like to get those walks down. But, again, several of those walks came in that first appearance. He's not a guy that uh, traditionally nibbles too much. He likes to attack hitters. He has allowed six home runs. He hung a couple breaking balls over the weekend. Uh, but, you know, that's kind of how life and times are going to be in the SEC when you challenge hitters. Occasionally you get them, and sometimes they get you. Opponents hitting just 192 against him, and that's an even better average for, uh, than what Landon Sims had. Landon was a 193, Preston Johnson a 192. Uh, Pico Cohn doing a great job out of the bullpen. Uh, 3.55 ERA and seven appearances. And if you thought Pico was going to throw seven appearances uh, the first six weeks of the season, you're probably somewhat surprised to see him pitch as, as well as he does. And I do like the fact that he competes. He didn't have a great outing against Georgia. Did do a good job the first uh, couple times, or first two innings. Uh, but they finally got to him, kind of lost a release point there. He has the one of the only two saves on the year. Uh, 12 and two-thirds of an innings pitch. The hits have got to come down. But, again, that's against a byproduct of challenging people in his own. He's allowed eight runs, five of them earned. 14 Ks against five walks. Like to see that get a little bit better. That's not even 3-1. It's close, but it's, it's right there. And then the two doubles and the one home run. He gave up a home run against Princeton uh, when the game was still pretty much decided. Wild pitches four, which is tied for the uh, the team lead. So we got to do a little bit better job there. Uh, Parker Stinnett, 4.64 ERA, 3-0. Got a no decision uh, this weekend. And, again, got a decent start, and then a second time through the order, the wheels kind of came off. We, we, de- we kind of detailed that on Monday. But seven appearances, three starts, and he gets us two wins in a week. Uh, 21 and a third innings pitch, allowed 15 hits, 12 runs, 11 of them earned. Those 12 runs, the most uh, on the team among the regular weekend guys. He's second highest on the team in runs allowed. We spoke about Jack Walker a little bit earlier. And, again, some of that's not Jack's fault. Um, but Parker is a guy, too. And, and I've said before, I don't know that I don't move him to Friday and move Preston to Saturday. Uh, that's what I would do. And, of course, Chris Lamontis has never asked me, what, hey, Steve, what would you do? I would run Parker on Friday because, you know, you're going to be shoving against a guy. You, know, you hate to ever you feel like you're conceding a game. But when Parker's on, Parker's able, to, I think, to match people on Friday. But also, too, it gives you a chance to throw who your most, most consistent guy on Sunday, who's Cade Smith, and then I think your second best guy on Saturday. So you're matched up number two versus number two on Saturday and then number one versus a number three on Sunday. I, don't, I would not move Cade Smith to Friday. I don't think he's ready for the pressure of Friday night. But also, too, I think he gives you the best chance to close out a series with a win 
whether that be to clinch a series or get a sweep uh, or to salvage a game. I think he is a guy that you can rely on when somebody else's bullpen is kind of thin and they're having to throw somebody out there. I think I leave him exactly where he is. That's just my personal opinion. Again, not that Chris Limonis needs it. Uh, Brandon Smith has been a bit up and down this year, and I thought he pitched well. He threw strikes on Saturday. Uh, just kind of got into a little bit of a pickle there. ERA is 5.94, and it's 1-1 one one on the year. He was tagged with the loss. Uh, eight appearances, no starts, 16.2 innings pitched, 21 hits allowed. That's got to get better. Now, some of that, of course, against Texas Tech. I mean, you get, you've, you've got some separation in the game. You're just trying to get the game over, so you're pounding the zone. And Texas Tech, one of the best hitting teams in the country, uh, they took full advantage. So 11 runs, all of them earned 15 Ks against just two walks. So Brandon doing a good job not nibbling when he's out there on the mound. But he has given up a ton of extra base hits, six doubles, a triple, and uh, three dingers. And, again, that's just in 16 and two-thirds of an inning pitch. Opponents hitting 309, which is the highest among the regulars. That's got to get better. Uh, Jackson Fristo, you know, again, probably not where we wanted him to be at this point. I think everybody would, would submit that when Landon goes down, you, you're thinking Fristo maybe is a guy that works on the weekend, turns out to be Stinnett. Fristo, 6.92 ERA, 1-2 on the year. Uh, seven appearances, three starts. I thought he, he really has thrown some good stuff in relief. I thought he was outstanding Sunday against Georgia. You know, Saturday is kind of a no-win situation. You bring him in with the bases loaded and, uh, and one out, and then or may have been any, and then um, you know, he gives up a hit. And, again, I don't think that's a blemish on his record. I think at that point the game was pretty much already lost, just a matter of them touching home plate. But uh, 16 hits, so he's given up more than a hit per inning. That's got to get better. He's allowed 10 runs. All of them earned 15 Ks against six walks. And that's really where he's gotten himself in trouble hit by pitches and walks. Uh, you know, the control issue is still part of the thing with him. we got to get that. He's, he's too talented. He has too much arm talent. My concern with Fristo, and maybe some of you astute observers of baseball have seen this, is there's not enough bite in that slider. There's not enough sink in a slider. Like, it really never changes planes. And so if you're sitting fastball and you get the slider – you're still able to foul that pitch off. And if you're skilled enough with the bat, you could recognize it and take it the other way. And so I don't know if that's a grip issue, that's something Scott can fix, or that's just kind of what Fristo is going to be. That slider I don't think has enough sweep to it or enough sink to it. I think it's still a pitch that is still uh, hittable. You know, the bat can remain in the zone when you're thinking fastball. You can kind of slow the swing down a little bit and at least foul that ball off. An opponent's hitting 314 uh, against him. So a little bit farther down the list, uh, Brooks Auger is a guy with a 1.29 ERA. I think he has to be a big factor for us. Uh, 1-0 and on the year. He's got eight appearances, usually working in one-inning stints. He's allowed just four hits on the year, one run, 10 walks – excuse me, four walks and 10 Ks. So, you know, that's – the control thing is going to get there. I, I, I'm a believer in, in Brooks Auger, and I think Drew Talley is a guy that can help us too. Drew Tag with a loss, really really just kind of a victim of circumstance there. Uh, got a 1.80 ERA in four appearances. Again, kind of one inning stance, but he is a competitor. I love the fact that Drew is not scared to get hit. He's like, you know what, I'm going to go pound the zone. If you hit it, you hit it, and if not, go sit down. Uh, he's allowed just four hits on the year, one run, and it was earned, and just one walk against nine Ks. That is outstanding for a reliever. You need a guy that's going to come in and not walk people 
and going to throw strikes. That's what he's doing. And again, I think he's going to be a big factor for us. Cam Tuller uh, had some decent work the last couple of weeks. You know, we got off to a horrendous start. Nine appearances on the year. The ERA is still elevated at 7.04. Uh, thrown seven and two-thirds of an inning, allowed 11 hits. That is way too high, way too high for a reliever. Six runs, all of them earned. Eight walks, way too high. 12 strikeouts. So you're basically three to two rather than three to one. Ultimately, you'd like to be closer to four to one. But the bare minimum, you want to be three-one strikeout to walk ratio. But for a reliever, he's uh, throwing way too many balls. But that's been better as of late. Mikey Tepper, a guy that's got electric arm talent, but he struggled to find his own here as of late. And he was horrendous Sunday. No doubt about it, he was horrendous, and he'll tell you the same. 9.95 ERA, seven appearances, and uh, basically throwing in one inning stance as well. Seven hits, eight runs, seven of them earned. That's way too many. You can't give up a hit per inning. Can't give certainly can't give up a run per inning as a reliever. And he's got more walks and strikeouts. Seven walks, six Ks. That has got to get better. No doubt about it. And I mentioned Jack Walker. I'm not going to you know, go over that a lot more today. Again, I think Jack Walker is ultra talented. And it's just a matter of time before we get him going. His best days are ahead. There's no doubt about it. All right, final segment of the show brought to you by the fine folks from Portico. I told you guys before, if I was moving to Starkville now, that's where I would move. I, I'm not opposed to living in a neighborhood. I live out in the sticks right now after all those years, living in Baton Rouge, living in neighborhoods, having to deal with all that traffic. I kind of like being able to be out here by myself and be kind of reclusive. But if I was moving now, I'd move there. I like the convenience of being close to campus. And really, that's why you move to Starkville, right, is to be near Mississippi State, 1.1 miles away from the Mississippi State campus, an outstanding place to live, an outstanding place to work. That is Starkville. Be sure and uh, check those guys out. It's a, you can start with a two-bedroom, two-bath home and go all the way up to a four-bedroom, four-bath home. Uh, so maybe you've got a growing family or, you know, you, you know you're going to expect company when you move to Starkville. You're going to have people that would love to come stay with you and go attend the ball game. And deep down, you want them staying with you, right? It's like, hey, we get more time together. We can have dinner together. We go to bed together, have breakfast together, whatever. You like having company. So you can have that big place, whether it be a retirement home for you, your ball game weekend retreat, or perhaps your primary residence. Portico has an answer for you. Phase one is completely sold out. Phase two now under development. You can have some say in that, too. You can pick out your lot and your housing plans. To get more information, reach out to our friend, former Diamond Dog outfielder Brooks Bryan. That guy knows a little bit about Omaha. Give him a call at 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. Make Portico your next move. All right, looking around the Southeastern Conference in the few minutes we have left together, it's been an interesting week in the SEC. You know, people always say midweek games don't mean anything. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. And if you think it's insignificant, yeah, talk to somebody on the NCAA selection committee. You start tacking up some bad losses in the midweek, it's going to bring your RPI down. And you can say, well, you know, they'll prop it up in the league. But, you know, when it gets down to deciding between hosting locations and top eight national seeds, that's a factor. You don't believe me? Ask Ling Jared at Notre Dame. All right, so uh, back on Tuesday, Vanderbilt took care of Belmont, 13-4. Georgia, 10-3 winners over Georgia State. Florida edges out Bethune-Cookman, 3-2. Florida, uh, you know, they're ranked in the top 10. I still think they win the SEC, but they got to they gotta start showing us a little something here. Uh, Kentucky, off to a pretty good start this year, too. They take care of Moorhead State, 7-5. Tennessee beats up on Butler, 13-3. 
Auburn survives a wild room with South Alabama 13 to 12. Uh, the Citadel upset South Carolina. They walk them off four to three. How about that? Big win for the C. Uh, LSU Louisiana Tech was postponed due to weather down there, and then A and M 15 to eight winners over Rice. Now Wednesday, which is today, very busy day in the league too. Right? Wrong. Four games. Southern, of course, at Mississippi State. Alabama is at UAB. That'll be awfully interesting. Uh, Louisiana Tech and and LSU will get their game going. And then Memphis will play at Ole Miss. Let's take a quick look at the standings. Uh, And the reality of it is at this point, we don't know a whole lot. You know, it's difficult to really make a determination because everybody's kind of bunched up. Looking back at the weekend, let's start with the SEC East. Tennessee and Vanderbilt both sweep their series. Guys, Tennessee is 20-1. and And they lost a lot of players. Again, this is the Tony Vitello effect, one of the best coaches in America. Uh, I wouldn't be the least bit opposed. You know, if I'm LSU or Florida or anybody like that down the road, you say, hey, let's go get somebody. And even though Mississippi State's a better job in Tennessee, you know, Lamonis is going to be here. And I think Jay Johnson's going to be at LSU for a while too. Uh, But Tony Vitello is one of those hot names in college baseball. He will not stay at Tennessee much longer. That guy's going to get a real opportunity. Uh, they got a big they got a big series coming up. We're going to preview the weekend on the Friday show. Uh, and Vanderbilt, of course, uh, they win their series through 18-2. and two. I still don't get the Vandy love. I think they're going to come back down to earth as we get into SEC play. Our friends at Georgia, the ones that beat us two out of three, they're 17-4 and four overall. Florida, 2-1, and 16-5. Missouri, 0-3 in the league and 12-5 and five overall. I expect them, again, to have a losing record again. This year, Kentucky 0-3 in the league with 15-7 and uh, overall. And I think Nick is a guy, too, that schedules pretty ambitiously. So you do a pretty good job there in a non-conference, and you can finish around 500. I think they have a real chance to get in. And Nick, Nick probably needs that. South Carolina, that's a staff right there that needs some good things to go right. They were swept last weekend. They are 10-10 and on the year. Currently the only team in the Southeastern Conference that doesn't have a winning record. SEC West, Arkansas, they sweep their opening series. They're 16-3 and overall. That is a very ambitious and angry team. And I know when we get there, we're going to get their absolute best shot. In their minds, they were the best team in college baseball, and we got the trophy. But there's a lot that's got to happen between now and then. But that is a series I can promise you they have circled on the calendar. Ole Miss 2-1 and last weekend, and then 15-4 and overall. Some really gaudy scores with Auburn. And I think that's going to be the case with Ole Miss. Ole Miss can really swing the bat. I mean, that's the thing everybody needs to understand. Pitching is is really an adventure for them, and I don't think they realize how average it is just yet. Uh, you saw a little bit of that last weekend at Auburn. Auburn was able to put some, uh, you know, put some wood on the ball or some aluminum on the ball. I think Ole Miss again. Ole Miss should be a team that hosts, and they'll they'll chase a top eight national seed. I'm sure they will, but. Uh, their pitching is going to determine the quality of their season. But offensively, they're going to be among the best teams in the country when it comes to swinging the bat. 15-4 and four overall, 11-1 and one at home, 4-3 uh, and three on the road, and I think that's going to be a big factor too. How do they play away from their ballpark? Texas A&M off to a decent start, 2-1 and one in the league. They took two out of three from LSU. They're 13-7 and seven overall. I think Slosh is a guy too because of the advantages that A&M has that they haven't always utilized. I think A&M will take a step up in the West and be a little more consistent. A&M, one of the more underachieving baseball programs in the country, not just in the SEC. 
And I think Slosh is a guy that will probably get those guys recurring at a different level. LSU, I don't know that they are quite as good as people think. Uh, one and two in the conference, of course, they lose two out of three to A&M. That, and that was a surprise to a lot of people, including me. 15 and five overall, 14 and two at home. You expect that. I mean, when you play at a softball field, you should win a lot of games and just 0 and 1 on the road. Uh, but they will have some opportunities to get in some SEC ballparks that are not their own. It's going to be fun. Auburn, 1 and 2 and 15 and 6 overall. They have not played a game away from Plainsman Park yet. That's rather interesting. That'll change. And, that, and Plainsman Park is a cool park to visit. Now, it looks unfinished to me. They've got to get some things up there to kind of show commitment. I think Butch has earned that. They need to do some facility upgrades. And I understand that, you know, football is king for sure. But the reality of that is that uh, Auburn baseball needs to make a bigger commitment. Now, that's not in our best interest, but that's probably what's best for Butch Thompson. Alabama, not a great team and a team that's going to be in Starkville this weekend. They're one and two in the league. They win the Sunday game against Florida. And we're very nearly swept. It's, a, it's an 8-7 win, if I'm not mistaken, uh, on Sunday. They're 13-8 and eight overall and 13-4 and four at home. And then on the road, 0-4. Oh well, you know where this weekend series played? It's in Stark Vegas. And every game this week for them is on the road. So it'll be awfully interesting to see there. I like Coach Bo. I think he is very energetic. I think he is a great motivator. I think he is a guy, too, that it's probably – in many respects, at one of the worst jobs in the SEC when it comes to baseball. There's just not the commitment there there should be. I know Greg Byrne is there, and Greg is going to make sure he has what he needs. But you've heard him talk about the NIL stuff, and you've heard him talk about some other things. That is a program that is kind of trailing behind the rest of the West, despite the fact they've got a good coach. I just think from a recruiting standpoint, they're a bit of a disadvantage. You, you say, well, Steve, how could that be? Well, the in-state tuition – one of the reasons the best players in the state of Alabama come to Mississippi to play is it's more affordable to go to school. That's how do you think we get Rowdy Jordan out of Auburn? His dad played at Auburn, but it was cheaper to come here. And Kevin Jordan's told me himself, he goes, you know, my, my guys get it. If it had been football, they'd have been like, oh, he's got to go to Auburn. Baseball, they get it. I mean, Mississippi State is a superior program. So we've got to make a, a run at Alabama this weekend. And, again, I say we need all four games this weekend to start feeling better about our life. All of a sudden, you're 16 and 9, and you're beginning to kind of close the gap between you and some of those teams you're chasing for regional host. I think everybody would feel a whole lot better. We've got to win the series against Alabama at the very least. But since we're getting ready to go to Fayetteville, having a 4-2 and two record, and because I think it's going to be tough to win that series at Arkansas. I think we all would agree with that. But you can't go up there and get swept. But if you find a way to get one, well, then all of a sudden – you come out of you know the first three SEC series, and uh, you're five and four. So you got a winning record after that, and then you have that trip to Alabama out of the way. And two of your three first series were road series. Well, then that means you know what you're gonna it's gonna even up because you're gonna get just as many home series as you get away series. And you have two, and you're probably your most difficult road series already behind you. So got to get fat this week. You got to eat when the food is on the table, dogs. So let's go get it done. That's going to do it for today, man. Glad to get the show done. And uh, for all you folks in Louisville, Mississippi, looking forward to seeing you at Rotary today. And if not, if you're not at Rotary uh, this afternoon, be sure and come out and see me at the Winston County Library. Books are available for purchase at both events, and you can bring a credit card. They 
love to take your cash, but if you don't have cash with you, bring your card. They can get you processed. Not a problem at all. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.